morning, Trinity Church. It's good to be with you today, and uh, what a wonderful uh, video just to kind of get us excited about what we're going to be looking at over the next two months. We're going to spend time back, going back to the book of John, starting in chapter 11 and going through chapter 12 before we arrive at Christmas. Can you believe it's that time of the year? So here we go. Um, Pastor Todd is away, uh, gets to go and be refreshed at a conference over the next few days, and so uh, I get to be here with you and just start this series off, and then he'll be back next Sunday to, to really do a to-be-continued on the story that we're going to start looking at today. So uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 11, that's where we're going to be jumping in, and as you do that... I want to draw your attention to two next steps that are coming up next week. And Jared talked about Discover Trinity. That's a great next step if you're new, newer with us. But uh, the partnership class is kind of, okay, I'm, I'm, you're settled here and you want to know what does it look like to really be a committed part of this local church. And you'll go through our core beliefs, our core values. You'll have time to ask questions. That class takes place next uh, Sunday at 10.30. And then at the same time is also a class called Discover God's Design. And that class looks at the way that God has designed you uniquely to be a part of his kingdom in the way that you live and serve him. So I, I recommend if, if uh, you're at that stage to check in to those. You can register for those online or you can go out to our Start Here Team and you can talk further if you have questions about those classes. So I'm going to ask you if you agree with me that this last year and a half has been filled with disappointments. Yes, you know, um, you know, it kind of starts with inconveniences, certainly, things that are canceled, closed. Um, but then this goes way deeper than just inconveniences. There are great losses. There have been incredible uh, sorrows and challenges in, in every level, both in, in families and in uh, jobs, in churches, you name it. This has been a challenging season. And it, we've learned almost to lower our expectations haven't we? Because if our expectations are too high, we're just going to be disappointed every time. And the, the, that makes sense because the definition, according to Webster, of disappointment is to fail to meet the expectation or hope of. So that's the, the, I, the, the sense of, man, my expectations are shattered all the time. And I would venture to say that on some level, every person in this room has experienced disappointment with God as well, where the expectations that you have had have not been met in some situation or in some way. And, and it happens to all of us at all kinds of different stages in our walk and our, with the Lord, our understanding, it could even happen before we put our faith in God. He just doesn't meet our expectations. And so we're just, we're turned off from, from even wanting to believe in him because we struggle with, with him not acting the way or, or interceding in the way in this evil world to, to bring uh, about hope and peace. But it happens to those of us who have a deep faith too. And I think this is why. Because we sing songs like we just sang, right? That, that nothing is impossible for God. And we believe it. And we sing songs about his deep love for us. Oh, how he loves us. And we believe it. And we know it's true. And yet, sometimes we come face to face with a circumstance that does not make sense. Examples of this, and I know this is people right now, some of you in this room, an unexpected death of a spouse or a loved one. 
an unwanted divorce. A broken relationship. Maybe a a long-term friendship. Maybe a family crisis. It's just split your family. Maybe a church family crisis. And we're wondering, where's God in this? Why isn't he showing up the way I'm asking him to? Because I know that I'm asking for a good thing. Well, I have good news. We're not the first ones to feel this way. Some of Jesus' closest friends felt that way in the story that we're going to look at today. And so when we, uh, we get there at John 11, that's where we're going to pick up. And it's going to ask and answer this question. Why doesn't Jesus often show up the way we expect him to? Especially maybe in the timing we expect him to. And I believe that the Bible gives us a very clear answer to that question. I want to pray before we jump into it. Heavenly Father, these are deep issues. This is sacred ground, Lord, where where all of us um, live in in this tension. God, we, we know who you are. You've revealed yourself to us. And yet there are times where things don't make sense. And so, God, would you help us as we look to your word today? Would you speak truth? into those circumstances. Maybe we're in the thick of it right now. Or maybe it's something that's coming ahead and and you're preparing us for it. And so we thank you, God, that you speak truth to us today. Help us to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to pick up at verse 1 of chapter 11. And it's important... As you, as you open this, to realize the backdrop of this story is love and friendship. John is going to make sure, the author John is going to make sure we know that this is a backdrop of love and friendship. <clears throat> Verse 1, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God so that God's son may be glorified through it. And so the first telling that John gives us that this is love is he actually tells us about something he hasn't written about yet because it hasn't happened yet. But it was so legend to his first readers, he figured they already knew about it. You see, Mary's love for Jesus was legendary. This this act of pouring out this expensive perfume on Jesus isn't going to come until chapter 12. But John's saying, wow, this friendship, this love between these three siblings and Jesus was really deep and intimate love. And so John wants us to see that. And then, um, and, and they knew that Jesus loved them, right? So when Mary and Martha send the word, how is it? They just say, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, that first, that word love is the word for friendship. That's the phileo kind of love. This is is someone that Jesus really loves as a friend. That's important. And so they say, the one you love is sick. Now, Jesus says, probably to the messenger, Maybe, maybe not, but we don't know. But he says this sickness will not end in death. But it's 
It's so that it is for the glory of God and so that his son would be glorified. So Jesus gives this sense of hope to whoever heard that. If that messenger took that word back, that's an encouraging thing, right? Certainly John heard it, right? He wrote it down for us. So this uh, appears like it's no big deal, right? Jesus is saying, uh, he's going to be okay. He's not going to die. And so um, we pick up in verse 5, and John tells us for the third time now, right? What does he say? Look on the screens. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And this word for love is agape. This is the God type of love, right? The perfect, unconditional love of God. And so John gives us this backdrop of these three examples of how deeply this, uh, this relationship between the siblings and Jesus is. Now, I have a question. Imagine that you're in a situation where your sibling, if you have a sibling or a close relative, if you don't, is deathly ill and is about to die. And one of your dearest, closest family friends has the medicine that will cure him or her. They happen to be a day away. And so you send word, urgent word, Lord, my sister, my brother is sick. What do you expect your friend to do? Let's say they're up in the Bay Area. They get this message. What do you expect them to do? come as fast as they can, because that's what love does, right? Drops everything and comes. Well, here's what Jesus does. Look in verse 6. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Why did Jesus wait two days? The word so is meaning that because Jesus had this deep love for them, that caused him to wait two days. There's a so in there. Do you ever wonder about that in your own life circumstances? Like, why does God wait when what I'm asking him for is very good and very needed? You're asking him to change a situation, or maybe to bring healing, just like in this situation. But I think it can extend beyond this, this uh, uh, concept, this um, healing situation to include a breakthrough in a marriage, right? God, we want to honor you in this marriage and we're having a hard time. Help us. Or maybe you're waiting for this child that's become an adult and you dedicated them here on this stage and now as an adult, they're not walking with the Lord. And you're asking and you're begging, God, bring that, bring that child back to you. And you're waiting why? Well, Jesus went out of his way to say it was because of love. John went out of his way to say that it was that because of love that Jesus waited. But Jesus declared his purpose too. And I want you to see this because we're going to come back to it at the end. He said in verse 4, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And this is our first hint at maybe the why that God waits, or maybe he does things different. Todd talked last week about the word glorify and glory, and it's kind of a, a confusing church word, but it's all over the place, right? In the Psalms, it's all over the place in the... A New Testament, we're seeing it here again this week. It's all over Revelation. And the way Todd explained it really helps us understand it. It's the, to glorify is to, is to shine a light on, to, to magnify is another word that's used for it, to, to show the 
the greatness of something. But the glory of something is, is its full greatness, right? Everything about it. And the Bible says that great are you, Lord, and, and worthy to be praised. Your greatness no one can fathom. So God's glory is something that we can never on this earth comprehend fully. So to glorify him is to reveal more of that glory. Does that make sense? To, to, to reveal something that maybe we had never seen about God before. So remember that as we're moving through this. I want to point you to something that Jesus always moved in a way that would glorify his father. That's, that's how Jesus rolled, right? Everything in his life was about that one thing. And I want to just draw your attention to uh, chapter 17, verse 1. This is, it says, and Jesus said this, as he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And Jesus is talking about his hour is the hour of betrayal and death. So in Jesus' greatest suffering, he is doing it for what reason? He realizes this is all about the glory. This is going to put a spotlight on your greatness. And it goes both ways. It's this beautiful picture of the Father glorifying the Son and the Son glorifying the Father. Isn't that beautiful? And so Jesus knew that this was his main purpose, and it turned his act of suffering into an act of worship. Right? Glorifying God is an act of worship. And so we're with the disciples now, and Jesus says, let's go back to Judea. The disciples aren't really excited about that. Jesus already said, Lazarus, it's not going to end in death. So, he's, so they're going to question. So pick up with me in verse 8. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and you're going to go back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Now, after he'd said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, well, let's also go that we may die with him. So do you see that the disciples are afraid of death? I mean, they are so scared. They're like, we are not going to go back where you were just about stoned to death. What are you thinking? But I want you to notice something really significant about this passage. There's a lot going on in here. But there's one point I just want to spotlight in on because I think this is the progression of what's happening. And it's right here. Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there. So maybe now we're starting to see an answer. Why did he wait two days? Why does he say? He says it's for your sake. Talking to his disciples, it's for your sake so that you may believe. Now, this is a really big question. Would, how many of you would say, I thought the disciples already believed they're following Jesus? Would you say that? 
So what is Jesus after? Because belief is this act of putting our trust in him. And we know that the disciples have declared over and over that they trust him. They are walking with him. And this is really, really important because there are levels. I I just had a conversation with Marcus, and he was talking about, I learned about how there are different aspects to our faith. You see, there is saving faith. That is our initial belief, right? And then whoever believes in him will have everlasting life, will never perish. I think God... Jesus is drawing out different levels of faith out of his disciples because they've got a big problem. They're afraid of death. Do they need to be afraid of death? No. Jesus it wants them to know you do not need to be afraid of death. And the only way that this is going to happen in your life is if you believe in me in the way that you're about to see <laughs> Okay, so I just want to summarize that by Jesus. I don't know how we want to talk about this, but he's drawing out faith, isn't he? He's like, if your faith is here, you're in. But there's a lot more of my glory that you have not seen yet, and I'm going to draw that out. And that's why you need to see what's about to happen. And so we're going to go back. Now, this whole story, this whole talk about daylight and darkness is a little confusing, but I I think what Jesus is saying is, hey, guys, you're with me. You're with me. What did he say to them in John 8, verse 12? He said, I am the light of the world. He's drawing them back to, to this I am statement. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I think he's just reminding them, you're with me. You don't need to be afraid. So now we're going to move into a next scene. Jesus drawing his disciples to deeper faith. Now he's going to be with Martha. So pick up with me. In verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into this world. Martha's encounter begins with this pain, this disappointment, right? You can feel it. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But... Martha expresses incredible faith, right? On that level of faith, as, she, as her faith matures, that's pretty mature to say, I know even now God will give you anything you ask for, right? That's, a, that's singing the impossible God. Nothing's impossible for you, right? But it's so interesting that Jesus draws her faith, though, doesn't he? 
he's, even though she's expressing incredible faith, he's drawing her deeper, and he reveals another I am statement. I'm the resurrection, right? Because she believes in the resurrection at the last day. But he says, I am the resurrection. And then says, do you believe this? And Martha makes this great confession. Yes, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into this world. It's just this beautiful picture of Jesus drawing her faith. I love how D.A. Carson summarizes this moment in his commentary. It's on the screens. Jesus' concern is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide it. It's just as he not only gives the bread from heaven, but is himself the bread of life, so also he not only raises the dead on the last day, but is himself the resurrection and the life. There is neither resurrection nor eternal life outside of him. And that is what Jesus wanted Mary to know. Martha, sorry. Martha needed to know that, that it was in him. And now we get to Jesus' encounter with Mary in verse 28. After she said this, she went back, called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking you. He is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went out. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at this place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. verbatim what her sister said. Do you think for four days these sisters had been playing that over and over? Why? Why wasn't Jesus here? Why wasn't he here? And Mary, because she's a different person and a different personality than Martha, she just falls at his feet and she weeps in deep grief, and sorrow. And it wasn't a private meeting, was it? John goes out of his way to tell us all of the people that were grieving with her were right there, observing that moment and grieving as well. So this was a very public moment and all of those friends must have been thinking the same thing Mary and Martha were thinking. Here's this healer who really loves them, and he didn't show up and heal this guy. They're all thinking that. Years ago, our whole church prayed for Timmy. If you've been here over 10 years, maybe you remember this, maybe a little over 10 years. And he was born to a young couple in our church family. And he was about one year old, this beautiful child, when he was diagnosed with Lee's syndrome. And it's a, it's a mitochondrial disease that just shuts down the brain mechanism that causes us to grow. Very rare disease. And as we as a church family, it was very, very public in our church. We were all praying and grieving. And as we prayed... Over the next five months, we just watched little Timmy just start losing control of his muscles, and he just kind of began to shrivel, and he died in January. 
happened in August. And I remember if my faith was right here, that really challenged my faith. I really believed that God was going to do something in Timmy's life. And that's happened over and over. Where we've just lost people, they haven't lived the duration of their life. Even a person who's gone their full years is hard to lose. Death is humanity's enemy. And we hate death. We hate it because it separates us from the people we love. And I'm sure that you could start to name your names. I remember just on the staff and elders, Kelly, Janice, Mike, Sandy. It's so hard. And I know there are hundreds of stories out there because every one of you has people like that in your own life where you've just wondered, why now? Lord, if you had been here, the person wouldn't have died. And I want you to listen carefully to how Jesus responds to Mary in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. One of the most Tender, personal, compassionate pictures of Jesus that we see is this picture of him weeping with Mary and with their friends. It's this moment of grief, the Savior who had become human. The word was made flesh. He dwelt among them. He was feeling our greatest angst, that great enemy of death, the grief. He felt it all, and he wept. And here's the thing. The NIV translation waters it down, and it says he was deeply grieved in spirit. But that word literally means he was indignant. He was mad. That's what that word means, and troubled. And I, we, it doesn't tell us exactly what he was mad about, but I think, I think we can pretty much determine he was not mad at the people. He was indignant. This is, we're just guessing on this. But you, it would make sense, just like we hate cancer, right? We hate it because of the death that it causes in this world. I think Jesus was hating sin because sin is what made death enter into this world. And everything that was, he was experiencing was wrong. It was not the way God created the earth to be. And it was this way because sin had entered the world. And Jesus was just weeks away from dealing with that enemy. That enemy of sin and that enemy of death. He was about to do something about it. And so I think that's the best understanding of this Anger, it's the same anger we have when death takes a loved one prematurely. This is what God's like. Do you know God like that? A God that that's, that's that 
tender, that he would weep with you, that he hates the fact that you have to deal with the death of your loved one and that, that grief that we have to walk through. You know how John introduces his book, his very last center of his, sentence of his introduction says, no one has seen God but Jesus, his one and only son, has made him known. We, this is a picture of God when we see Jesus in this moment. It's a beautiful picture of God. So grace, John says, comes through Jesus Christ. And this is a beautiful picture of that grace being poured out on Mary and all those people as Jesus joins in their grief. And he's with you in your grief. He's with me. He is. He will be in the grief that all of us have in front of us because of death. Now, some perceive Jesus' tears as love, which they ought to, but not everybody did. And that's where we go next in verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? This is the third accusation. This one's coming from the crowds. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, same word, indignant, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone that laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. That is present tense. If you believe. In this moment of your deep anguish, wherever you are in your in your faith, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. So there's Jesus drawing out Martha's face, faith once more, right? If you believe. And I want to go back to Mary real quick. If Mary's faith was doubting Jesus' love, you think Mary doubted it after he wept with her? I think that was Jesus drawing out her faith revealing this beautiful picture of his compassion through tears. So he met Mary right where she was at too in her faith. This is an amazing promise to us. This is the, a promise in this passage. There are a couple of them. We'll get back to the resurrection and the life promise. But this is an amazing promise for us that if we believe, we will see the glory of God. God is going to reveal something about himself we never would have known if it was not for this situation that we're presently in. What an amazing truth and what an amazing promise. This, I believe, is Jesus' purpose in waiting two days. We're kind of seeing it, right? He's drawing the faith of every person in, in that story. He's drawing them to deeper faith. And now he links it, right? Belief is linked to seeing the glory of God. So how does Jesus draw out the faith of those among the Jews? Because there's one more group there. They've just accused him. Some of them, hey, look how he loved him. Others have just said, he didn't heal him. So what does Jesus do for them? How does he draw out their faith? Look at verse 41. So they took the stone away 
And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And so Jesus, even in this moment, he doesn't need to pray, but he wants to draw people's attention to the Father as the one from whom he was sent for them. And so he prays out loud and says, it's for their sake that they might believe. Because where were some of them in the belief? Maybe they were before that initial belief. They hadn't put their trust in him at all yet. And so Jesus wants them to be drawn to faith as well. If there are some of you that are here in this room or you're joining us online and maybe you're like, we're all over the the place in this continuum of faith. Maybe you're right there. And this is the thing. This is the realization. It could be something in your life that is Jesus trying to draw you to put your faith in him. And then the glory of God is revealed. The moment we've all been waiting for in verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen And a cloth was around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And that's our to be continued for next week. (laughs) But I want to talk about this. This this act of, of resurrection, this promise that Jesus made to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, that that the one who believes in me will live even though they die, and that everyone, everyone who believes in me will never die. That's an amazing promise. And this situation, Lazarus, is Jesus' evidence. It's true. It's true. And so Jesus had something way better than healing for Lazarus, didn't he? And he does for each one of us too. You see, because Jesus raised Lazarus to the de- from the dead, but Lazarus was raised back into the world of wars and occupation by the Romans and pandemics and family challenges and struggles with sin. But what he raises all those who believe in him to is eternal life in heaven. And so Lazarus is this first prototype of resurrection. He's an example of what's going to happen to Jesus just a few weeks, months later. Jesus is going to be raised from the dead after being in a tomb, and his disciples needed to know this is coming. Whether they got that or not, Jesus was building their faith for that moment, wasn't he? I also think about this this miracle Just be in awe of this miracle for a moment. Jesus had started a little girl. I think Tabitha was her name. He had raised her from the dead. She had been dead, laying in her bed. And it's in a different um, account of the Gospels. John doesn't tell this story. And he raised her back to life. Her heart started beating again. But you guys, that is amazing. And that kind of maybe paved the way for Martha's faith. Right? But... Lazarus was dead and decaying. His body was rotting. This isn't in the the screen in the hospital that has a flat line that starts beating again. 
This is a recreation of life. This is, this is the creator, John says, who made the world, he says in, verse, in uh, the beginning of John 1, the world was made through him, and without him, nothing that has been made has been made. And so you have Jesus with the Father together, creating new life. And that is what this miracle shows. And that's what happened to Jesus. And it's what happens to every one of his followers when we die. And so Jesus has given every one of his followers this amazing promise. Death is no longer our enemy to be feared. Death has been defeated. Now, we're not there in the book of, of John yet. We're not to the resurrection yet of Jesus Christ. But the prototype has, has been raised from the dead. And the faith of everyone in that story has been whoop, amplified. They have now seen the glory of God in a way they never knew that this is what God was like and this is what God is going to do. And so resurrection is this amazing revealing of the glory of God. It's so significant that when Paul says, and this is really important, if you're like wondering, well, how do you make that first, <laughs> how do you put your faith in Jesus to just start? That initial putting your faith in Jesus, the way that Paul summarizes it in Romans chapter 10 is this way. He says, whoever confesses that Jesus is Lord will be, sorry, let me go back. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because with the heart, one believes, and he says it is justified, is made right with God. But it's with the mouth that we testify about our faith, and we're saved. And so it's this process of just initially saying, God, I believe Jesus is Lord, and I believe in, in this resurrection from the dead. Very, very significant. But here's the thing, as we close today, many of us hold on to this hope, but we still have to walk in this world where we, where we lose loved ones, where God doesn't always do things the way we expect him to. And so getting back to our original question, why does God often not do things the way or in the timing we expect him to? I think the answer is because he's drawing out faith. And it's not just your faith, right? Martha and Lazarus maybe were the ones who were grieving the most, but think of the faith of every person that was in that story being deepened. And that's what Paul says about our trials. Actually, James is the one that says that, that God is about testing our faith or refining it is a way to think of that, so that we're moving towards mature, a maturing faith. And so I would say that's the answer. And what happens is when we believe, we see the glory of God. God reveals a part of him that we've never seen before. And that faith glorifies him. It puts the spotlight on his greatness. And that's how we get to end the service today. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in this hard place of disappointment with God, believe, let him draw you to this deeper faith, and let this picture of Jesus with you, weeping with you, grieving with you, let that be an encouragement through that season. And you know what? It always has been. As a pastor here at Trinity Church, I have estimated 
that I have gone to a hundred memorial services over 20 years. There are few things in my life that has formed my deepness of faith than witnessing the faith of families going through hard times, witnessing the faith of a person whose life story is being told, and the glory that goes to God when, when a person has lived their life by faith. And so our faith, the ripples go out and out and out, and the ripples of God's great act, Jesus' act, go out to the whole world. The glory of God is for the whole world. So Jesus said to Martha, and today he's saying the same thing to you and me. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, and whoever believes in me will, even though they die, they'll never die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a sacred ground to walk on when I think of the hardships that so many have gone through when it comes to loss, whether it's the death of a loved one or the death of a dream. There are so many ways we experience this in this life, and we just thank you, God, that you are with us and that you're drawing us gently to a deeper faith and trust in you. God, we thank you for this hope that we have, this hope of resurrection that comes through faith in Jesus. We pray that that would fill us in these dark times, would really fill us with hope, and that we would not only walk in that faith and that assurance, but we would also bring that hope to the world. So Lord, we pray these things, that you might be glorified, that the world would see your greatness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.